Shalom and welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We thank you very, very much for joining us. We invite you to visit the website, jewishsacredaging.com, as well as um, the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page. We want to welcome very, very much, and we thank you for joining us today, Rabbi Gary Glickstein, who is the co-executive vice president of NAOR, the National Association of Retired Reform Rabbis and Rabbi Emeritus at Congregation Beth Shalom in Miami Beach, Florida. And um, we are taping this in the middle of November. Uh, Rabbi Glickstein, just off an airplane from a mission to Israel. I hope not too jet lag, Gary. Um, I, we'll I think, find out, won't we? Yeah, I guess so. It's always... Uh, Going from Israel back, um, I hope you're sitting up front. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I remember those sitting in the back days. Anyway, welcome, um, and I hope you're feeling well. I hope you're okay. You know, physically, I'm doing okay. Um, emotionally, um, and, uh, you know, it was very, very powerful and very draining. Um, meeting with so many different people over there, so much pain and so much inspiration. Well, I know we want to talk about no or, uh, especially with the with the convention coming up and and the whole changing nature of what it means to be retired, uh, a word which I'm not necessarily in favor of. But let let me just take some time because um, we let me just take some time and ask you to just if you if you want to share if you can. Uh, you're fresh off this inspiration and pain. Two sides of the same coin, Gary. What what was it like for you? Well, you know, first of all, um, I was uh, there with a group of about 17 rabbis. Most of us were South Florida. Um, one was from New Jersey and one was from uh, Buenos Aires. Uh, wow. And then after we finished on uh, Thursday, I stayed on for Shabbat and I joined the Central Conference of American Rabbis uh, leadership group headed by our president, Erica Ash, and um, our CEO, Hera Person. So I was actually there for an entire week on two different missions. I think my sense is a lot of people in Israel have enormous pain that they're carrying. Um, we met with families of uh, hostages. We met with uh, individuals that that had loved ones who were killed on uh, October 7th. We met in hospital with uh, a soldier who was shot and wounded and is recovering and another who lost his leg. Uh, we met with uh, Israeli families that have been displaced and are now living in hotel rooms with their entire family um, and trying to deal with this kind of upheaval in their life. But the, the overwhelming feeling that I had, other than all the tears we shed together, and there was more crying on this trip than I've ever had on any trip, one of my uh, companions said that part was unbearable really was just so hard and heart-wrenching to uh, to be in the presence. But also, these people are so resilient. Our Israeli brothers and sisters 
are incredible. You know, the impression we get when we're there and everything I've read about is that the government did not function. It's only beginning to function now after about six weeks or more. Um, and even then, it's not functioning very well. But from day one, average Israelis uh, from high tech to cab drivers to housewives to children, everyone immediately went to work doing for other people. The army, you know, regrouped and it went to work. And the army seems to be running the war, not the government. And the people are running the country. The people are feeding each other. The people are clothing each other. They're housing each other. They are figuring it out. They're building schools. They're entertaining kids every day. They're going down and picking produce in the South. Um, you know, everything that's going on, most of it is volunteerism. Right. And it's voluntary volunteerism. They had to form the kind of structure, the, the group that was leading the protests. It's called Brothers in Arms. These were military people that for 40 weeks were organizing the protests all around the country. That same day, October 7th, they turned on a dime and they became brothers and sisters for Israel, Achim v'achayot Israel, and they put all of their organizational skills together and they began organizing. And they are in the heart of this organization along with, with hundreds of other NGOs. So, you know, um, there's so much to talk about, and we've had been honored to have some people who are working seriously in the community uh, on these last couple of weeks um, on the Seekers of Meaning. And I know the the convention that's coming up, and we're going to get to that in a second, is going to have a significant chunk uh, devoted to the war. Uh, and devoted to just what's being processed as a result right. of this. Can, talk to me about uh, the Naor convention that's coming up uh, next month in Florida. Right. It's in Boca Raton. It's the first week of uh, January, the 4th through the 8th. Uh, we did reconfigure uh, a number of the programs. Our Shabbat morning service is all about Israel and prayers for Israel for the hostages. Hopefully, there won't be any hostages in January, but we right. don't know. Uh, prayers for healing, uh, prayers for hopes for peace. Um, and then we also redid the Friday morning uh, tefillah in order to allow uh, kind of small groups of our rabbis to sit around and talk about how they're feeling about it and what they've been going through. So they have a a way face to face to process it. We have one of our colleagues who lives in Israel, Stanley Ringler, who's coming over to do a workshop and talking about what he did um, while he was there. We have Eric Yaffe, who is one of our most illustrious leaders who led the UAHC, now the URJ, um, for a number of years, but also who has an expertise and in Israel and politics in Israel and writes uh, on a regular basis in right. times of Israel right. and elsewhere. Uh, Eric's going to give the, um, the Devar, the sermon on Shabbat morning. Um, and so there are a, a couple of other workshops as well in Israel. But at the same time, 
we're also focusing on what it means to be a retired rabbi. Because one of the problems that we feel deeply, and no matter who I talk to who's retired, is most of us don't have a forum to say things we want to say right now. Because, you know, as rabbis, we had a pulpit. We had all kinds of ways to communicate with our members, the people we worked with. Um, and once you retire, you no longer have that access in the same way. And here is one of the most important moments in Jewish history, one could argue. I would. Um, this critical war that's going on right now and what's happening in Israel, the reshaping of the society. And few of our members have a real point of access to express themselves. And it's frustrating for them. And it's, it's painful because they, they spoke for 40, 50 years and now they don't have the place to speak. So, you know, processing that becomes important for each of us. And and for many of the colleagues who either recently retired or retired perhaps a generation ahead of us, um, we've lived, this generation of retired writers have lived through this whole process of the development of the state of Israel. You know, all of us remember the Six-Day War. Um, I was just out of school in the 73 war, the Yom Kippur war. Uh, the intifadas, we've, and now everything has just been switched all within our rabbinate. Right. So it is a very, um, should, that should be a very, very interesting Friday morning, a very, very right. interesting Friday morning. Uh, and I'm sure there will be a variety of different approaches and responses and frustrations. We'll see what happens. Talk to me, explain to me what not war is. Where did it come from? Why was it necessary? Well, so Naor started in the 80s. Um, and what happens is in, in the Reform Rabbinate, we have this convention once a year that the Central Conference of American Rabbis runs, uh, which when I became a rabbi and you became a rabbi was a very important place. And all of the gedolim of our, uh, of our movement would show up there. And of course, we as the young ones, wanted to be there, to be seen, to learn, uh, to get to meet them, to listen to what was going on. And we didn't have social media. We didn't have, you know. Right, right. You had to write letters, as you remember in those days, real letters. I remember letters. I remember letters. Stamp. They put that thing called a stamp on, and, and you put it in a box, and you prayed that it would get to where it was supposed to go. Right, you know, and we didn't have websites and uh, yeah. cell phones and, you know. I mean, it was a very different world. So that convention was really, really important to connect us. And what happened was as, as the rabbis got older, they found that their peers showed up less and less for many reasons as they got to be 60 and 65. And they looked around and they might be only two or three in their class that showed up. And they felt they wanted to have companionship of their friends. And in those days, it was almost all male rabbis. Uh, Sally Presan, the first female ordained rabbi in our movement, was 19, 1972. She was in my class. Right. And then, <laughs> well, and then there was, you know, one other after her, and then there was Laura Geller after us. So 
there weren't a lot of women in the rabbinate. There were hardly any. And the spouses in our day and age also knew each other. They often, you know, they would know each other and be friendly. So people had a social need as they aged out of the, the convention of the Central Conference. They still wanted to get together at least once a year. So a group of them got together and said, let's, let's meet in January because no one's meeting in January. It's cold, but we'll meet in a warm weather, either West Coast or East Coast, usually Florida or California or Arizona. Um, and once we, you know, we'll get together for a convention, we'll have, we'll eat, we'll drink, we'll study, we'll learn a little, we'll share with each other. And that's how it started. It started with a small group. Um, eventually as more and more rabbis lived longer, and retired with some means in order to be able to travel, um, it became a very important place to be with friends and to learn. We didn't have Hartman, we didn't have Hadar, we didn't have, I mean, all of the opportunities now to learn online, this was a place to come and learn, right? And to be with each other and to have social kind of interaction with people you cared about and you would spend a lot of years being together. Um, but over time, and that's where we are now, the, the retired rabbinate is changing. Not just that we have a, a growing and large number of women rabbis. We have, because of the changes in the whole gay and lesbian community and transgender, we have rabbis who have come out and who have different partnerships. It's not the same social relationship. Many rabbis didn't marry in rabbinical school, so often their partners don't know other partners as well. Some divorced, there was more divorce in the rabbinate now, and therefore there are second marriages um, and there are blended families. So all of that is changing, and the whole idea of what we do in our January convention is also in flux at this point. So. Um, the numbers now, what, do you have a sense of, um, the membership of Naor? A couple hundred colleagues, three, four, five hundred colleagues. It's grown, right? Well, it's grown in some ways. There are in our list of potential members, meaning they're over, basically over 65. Mm -hmm. uh, because as you said, retirement is a different issue. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have a list of over a thousand that are in effect, most of them not working full time. Right. Everyone is working at something and has activities and has things they're doing, but not in the sense of a full time rabbinate. So that's a thousand of the actual active people who are members. It's probably around four or five hundred. And that includes spouses because right. in our group, as opposed to in the CCAR, Spouses and, and rabbis are the same membership. They have the same membership. And we have a group of, of surviving spouses right. whose, in this case, husbands died. And we have like 40 or 50 who remain connected to us. We have a caring committee because we have, as we age, we can no longer travel as easily. So we're doing hybrid work. We're reaching out with phones. We're trying to reach out with computers, but older rabbis have that. It's more difficult for them to deal with, with electronics. Even for me, I struggle, you know, with uh, some of the aspects of what we're doing. 
So the, I, I would imagine now because of the, the growth of Naor and now the age range, and there's a significant numbers of our colleagues who are retiring much earlier. Uh, in my experience, anyway, I mean, um, we have this range. Correct me if I'm wrong. Of let's say a a, a, a newly or retired quote unquote retired rabbi at sixty five, sixty four, sixty six, and somebody who's been around a little bit longer, who's coming to not or who's in there, who's eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, and maybe you. How they're very different rabbinates, right? Very very different rabbinates. Um, talk to me about how. Those rabbinates or those experiences are are elevated and brought up. Well, part of it is just the encounter with, you know, once you're used to going to convention, you're already come in when you're younger, and you're seeing older colleagues, and you're you're making relationships. So some people, when they come to Naor, they're renewing the relationship they had with these older rabbis when they were younger. And they had a, a 20 year gap and they, you know, sat in on a committee or a learning session and they created relationships with those rabbis. But there's another aspect to that. Um, because of the women rabbis who came in in the seventies, eighties and nineties, but particularly seventies and eighties, they were not welcomed with open arms by the male, all male rabbis and they were not welcomed by congregations. And they have a different experience, often a painful one, and sometimes a painful one with members of our organization who might not have made it so easy for them. In fact, have made it, in some cases, difficult. So part of what we're trying to do in our present Naor is find a way to talk about those issues, name those issues, and, and heal those issues so that we can build a more diverse retired rabbinate and that welcomes all ages and all different kinds of rabbis, as well as the fact that a third of rabbis right now in the CCAR are not in the congregation. Right. So, yeah, that's an issue because it's the growth area. It really is. Whether whether you call it the entrepreneurial rabbinate or just people seeking a different type of teaching or academics or, you know, in, in academia, this is a growth area. It's right. a, it's, it's a, and the rabbinate there is very, very different than I'm um, sitting. At, you know, and they didn't there. have, they didn't come to our conventions no. over the years. They go to, uh, you know, to uh, chaplaincy conventions or Hillel conventions or, you know, wherever they are or, or in the military or wherever they're involved. And so they don't necessarily relate the same way in the way that in the past, where it was predominantly congregational rabbis, would relate to each other. So that's why we also run monthly seminars um, online, you know, where we do programs and we get anywhere from 30 to 100 screens with husbands and wives, rabbis and their partners you know, who will participate in these. And that's another way to connect them. Um, the convention still takes place, but at the convention where we get between 170 and 210 uh, of this larger group of 500 
that come to it, but we're also doing it hybrid. We're going to be broadcasting. We did it last year. We're going to be streaming uh, the services. We stream the scholar in residence this year, Dr. Andrew, Rabbi Dr. Andrea Weiss. Um, we stream uh, a couple of other sessions. And then we're going to have a separate session just for streamers so they can talk to each other about what they're experiencing. So we're trying to find ways to make this work for all of our members because, you know, one of the things we also have now, which I hinted at earlier, is we have all these competing opportunities. Right. That they all cost money and everyone has limited resources. So even in January, when we started, it was just us. And then a group of skiers started a January group called Onig. And at the same time, the, the West Coast rabbis had the Pacific area rabbis, PAR, par, par. roughly at the same time, one day I after. I remember PAR. And it's still very strong. So now even within the January first week, there are competitions that didn't exist. And then you have the summer at Hartman, which a whole group of rabbis go to. That's a costly, you know, enterprise. And then we have all kinds of other ways that one can study and learn and have opportunities. So finding a niche and finding a way to serve our retiring rabbis, because they don't retire, they re they're retiring. They're not working full time. Uh, we have very few full time retired rabbis. We have a few. But most what of them you, have part-time gigs. So as an executive vice president of, of now, or what, what, do you, what is your dream for this organization? Oh, I mean, I'd like it to be a place that actually serves the needs of our colleagues in the way that the CCAR serves the needs of working rabbis. But part of it is where we are working with the CCAR to use their resources and ours to mutually support rabbis all through their career. So, you know, we want to prepare rabbis, this is important for the CCAR, for retirement. We want to prepare, prepare rabbis who are being succeeded after a long rabbinate and prepare both, both the new rabbi and the retiring rabbi because there are so many psychological issues that go on between them and often there are conflicts. We feel it's, we can address that in advance. Yes. I, right? I, listen, I, I remember from my days as a regional director, having been called, it's sometimes tough to let go. Yes, it is. And, you know, if you, let's say you formally leave your rabbinate, congregational rabbinate on June the 30th, and you wake up on July 1st and the phone doesn't ring all the time. Right. It's, it's who am I? And, um, so this is very, very important, uh, on a variety of, on a variety of levels. Um, once again, that if somebody wanted to just find out more about Noor or maybe really there's a website, what's the website? So the website, which we're still, we're working on, but it does exist and it's called Naor.com. It's pretty simple. N-A-O-R-R-R. -R -R. You got to have three R's. If you put two R's, you're not going to get there. And all, yeah, I mean, it, that's the easy way. If someone is a retired rabbi and hasn't been involved, they can go on there. We publish um, two 
kind of informative pieces a year called Orla Naor. Um, and they are on the website. And the newest one is called, it says current Orla Naor. Uh, if they want to know about the convention or about our organization, they can click on that. Um, the convention registration is on pages eight and nine. Membership is on page 10. There are articles by our president, by our vice presidents, by um, Joni and me, because she's my, my wife is my co-executive vice president. Right. Together. It's a tradition that was started right at the beginning. And we continue it. So before we run out of time, um, let me return to where we began. Um, we have this cadre of, of, of Naur many of whom have great passion for the state of Israel, uh, many of who studied for their first year at the seminary in, this, in Israel. How do we begin to move, how do we begin to bring the message that you just were receiving in Israel? How do we bring it to Naor? How do you, and how do the members of this organization translate that into Amcha, into the world, if they, and who may not have that pulpit or that forum or that moment or opportunity to speak. How do we, how do we begin to do that? I know we're going to talk about that at the convention, but just off out of your neshama right now, you've just gotten off the plane. And I'm sure as you're thinking about that in that long flight back, you may have said, I, how, how do I get this message? What I've seen out to the people? Well, I think, I think what the message we're going to try and convey to our members is you still bear the title rabbi. And that means something. It not just means something to you. It's not just a degree. It means something to our people, and it means something to the Christian world and the Muslim world. You have, with your title, even though you're retired, access to call up another clergy member in town and say, do you, will you let me speak at the church or at the mosque? Can we have a dialogue? You have access to write to newspapers and write an op-ed. You have ways of using your title and your experience to go out to speak at schools, to speak at you know various fora that exist uh, at city councils. You know, once you're a seasoned rabbi, and you've done this for a long time. Don't just sit on it; use it and be and be proactive right now. Right. Israel right. needs us, so let's be proactive about it. Which is what you see. That's why I prefer to use the word transition because we really we're just transitioning into a different stage of life, um, and the collective. Let's just say you have 150 people coming to Boca next month. Right. The collective life experience and wisdom of all of those people sitting in that room right. can transform communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that's that's what you know is on the agenda in 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 in, in many ways. I agree. So Rabbi Gary Glickstein, the uh, co executive vice president of Naor and Rabbi Emeritus of Beth Shalom in Miami Beach. Um, thank you for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meeting. I, uh, I think I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, 
<laughs> in Boca. <laughs> God willing. And yes, yes, I hope so. And uh, and I ninety five. So, <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. you. Just take care. Say say hello to your bride, and I'll see you soon. And continued success and good luck, and welcome back. And thank you for thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for your work and uh, your passion. So I appreciate it. We all do. We all do. To all of you, thank you very much for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Again, I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. If you'd like to help support our work here in these podcasts, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com. Click on the conveniently located donate button. Just follow the prompts. We really appreciate it. Any of you listening would like to, uh, you or your organization, become a sponsor of these podcasts, again, just email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the broadcast centers of Lubeck and media companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out and toda to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. Until the next time, until we meet again on the next Seekers of Meaning, please take care of yourself, everybody. Stay healthy, stay safe, and be kind to one another. Shalom.